The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. MyBookie is going to have every prop bet that you would want for the Super Bowl. They're going to have every way to bet the game imaginable. They're not going to have any less than any other site has. What they're going to do, though, is they're going to give you an opportunity to double the amount of money that you can wager with. Very few sites right now, onshore or offshore, are offering what my bookie is offering, and that is a doubling of your money all the way up to $1,000. You have to use my promo code KevinDC. I promise you, as I have in the past, my bookie is safe. Uh, they've got fair lines. They've got fair pricing. And again, everything you need to know uh, in terms of betting about the Super every offering that you would want to look at and consider MyBookie has. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. No Cooley on the show today. He'll join us on Friday. Something came up. I do have two guests on the show today. Howard Gutman, who was the uh, Obama administration's ambassador to Belgium. Howard's become a friend. He's a big sports fan. Uh, Big time, uh, long time lawyer in town. One of the smartest people in Washington. He is going to join me to discuss what Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders, I hate using that name right now, but uh, whatever, I'll get used to it maybe, um, what they did today in launching an investigation into the claims made by Tiffany Johnston last week. Tiffany Johnston was the one that claimed that Dan Snyder put his hand on her thigh during a business meeting and then tried to push her into his limousine uh, through his attorney the day after he um, vehemently denied that allegation and called it an outward, uh, you know, an outright lie. Well, they have launched an investigation, a so-called independent investigation that they'll be paying for um, to look into these allegations, which were new allegations uh, from Tiffany Johnston last week, allegations that were not presented because she was not interviewed for the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Howard Gutman will join me to discuss all of that. And then after that, Michael Sean Duger, who covers the Seahawks uh, for The Athletic, will join us and we'll find out whether or not there's a legitimate possibility that the Seahawks would trade Russell Wilson. 
All right, we'll get to Howard Gutman here shortly uh, and the Washington uh, new investigation. Um, I wanted to get touch on a couple of things here in the open. First is the Super Bowl. It's on Sunday. You know, it sort of sneaks up on us uh, during this two-week period. We'll talk much more about the game tomorrow and on Friday's show. I do also always feel that the Super Bowl is very anticlimactic to the playoffs that we just watched, all the games. Just one game. we got to wait two weeks for it. Um, but I am excited about this game because I have a strong lean in this game in terms of analysis. I think the Rams are the better team. I think they're going to be dominant um, with their defensive front against Cincinnati's offensive line, and I think they're going to wreak havoc defensively in this game and win. And I like the the Rams to win by a comfortable margin. Now, from a betting standpoint, most of you know I'm a contrarian better. You know, I'm pretty much anti-public, pro-sharp. Um, and, you know, the Super Bowl right now, there is a slight public lean on the Bengals. The other thing I like looking at for these you know, big games or national TV games during the season, a Sunday night game or a Monday night game is where all of the so-called experts are on the game. I can tell you like in a Monday night game, if all of the experts are picking the game and they're all on one team, I get to the window quickly on the other team, even if I didn't have any interest in the game. I just think that the so-called experts are wrong more often than they are right. Um, And ESPN just posted their ESPN lineups picks on the game, all their writers, all their columnists, their commentators, etc. Um, and I wanted to see um, where they all lined up. 52 ESPN people picked the Super Bowl. Um, 29 picked the Rams and 23 picked the Bengals. So it's not like an overwhelming, you know, what, what does that come out to? Like 55 to 45 percent, something like that. Um, you know, advantage uh, on the Rams. So it's not an overwhelming, you know, pundit uh, pick of the Rams. Uh, but I'm always interested in that. And I would have preferred, quite honestly, to see most of the uh, pundits picking Cincinnati. Um, and I do have a sense that a lot of people like Cincinnati because, I mean, Cincinnati beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead. That's a big deal. They beat the number one seed the week before. Um, and they're coming in with a hot quarterback and and I, I think that there's a lot of also people just hoping that the Bengals win the Super Bowl. I think the Rams are just a better team, and I think they're going to prove it on Sunday. I think the Chiefs, more times than not, um, are the better team, and they didn't prove it. So anything can happen. It's an NFL game. But um, I did think um, that uh, I was hoping to see more Cincinnati from the experts than the Rams, but um, many of the Rams, uh, uh, many of the pundits at ESPN – uh, picked the Rams, 29 to 23. I wonder where if Van Pelt weighed in on this. Um, no, it looks like it's mostly like their columnists and their NFL um, insiders um, picked the game. So 29-23 uh, there. I, I still like the Rams uh, off of seeing that. Um, the second thing I wanted to hit on here in the open is I really feel awful for Bradley Beal. He wasn't having a very good season. He's out for the year with this wrist surgery. But I also feel really badly for the Wizards. Boy, they're in a tough, tough situation. Um, And I have a recommendation, which I'll get to in a moment. But the tough situation is, 
now they can't trade Beal, even though, to be fair, I didn't think they were going to trade Beal. Um, and now they've got a player coming off a serious injury and off a season that wasn't going very well. Uh, their season is essentially over without him. You know, if they were to keep him after the trade deadline, which I think they were going to do, they're not going to be able to make a run, even if they make moves here at the trade deadline, which I think they're going to try to make a couple of moves. Wouldn't be surprised to see like a Montrez Harrell get moved with his expiring contract. Um, but the Wizards just can't catch a break, man. They cannot catch a break. Now they got to make a decision in the offseason. And now it's more of a decision. Although I don't think it's much of a decision. Do you pay him 250 million bucks, you know, and uh and 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 understand that, you know, he is played by the way, um he's missed by the way, let me rephrase it. 79 games in the last 3 seasons. And remember last year was a 72 game regular season. He's essentially missed an entire regular season of games in the last 3 years. So you're going to have to pay him this money to keep him. He'll probably take it now. It's an extra year and it's an extra 50 million bucks. Actually, I think it's an extra 60 million that the Wizards can offer. And he's going to be your highest paid player and your best player, and it's not good enough. If he's your best player, you're never going to contend. If you're if he's your highest paid player, you're just never going to contend in a big way. I would love for the Wizards to tank. I'd like to see him try to deal uh, all of their veteran players, especially those on expiring contracts, get anybody to take Bertans off your hands. Um, play all of your young people and try to get into the lottery. You know, the, a lot of people don't love the draft. There are some players in the draft that I like. I watched one last night in Jabari Smith with Auburn. Um, I'm not going to call him Kevin Durant. Okay, that's a little bit crazy, but he is 6'10 with a handle as a perimeter player, and he is unstoppable when he goes up to shoot the basketball. Um, it's an unblockable uh, shot. Um, uh, he is, he's a freshman, he's averaging 16 a game. He's got great touch, can really score. I, I love him. I, now a lot of people are talking about him recently as a potential number one overall pick in front of Bancaro, um, and Holmgren. Uh, but I really like Jabari Smith, but you know, they're not going to end up with the number one pick more likely than not. But anyway, uh, feel badly for the wizards, feel badly for Brad. Um, tough spot, but I'd like to see him tank. Ted never tanks. He wants to make a run for, you know, the play-in round and get a series where you can get the extra revenue from a couple of home playoff games. Lastly, before we get to Howard, uh, it's been a week since the name reveal and the uniforms and the crest, the patch with the wrong championship years and you know, last Wednesday was, you know, typical of them, not very well planned, not very well executed. Um, they, they did not stick the landing, as they say. Now, again, and I said this to Tommy yesterday, I think part of it wasn't necessarily their fault because everybody kind of knew the name going into the day. But anyway, a week later, you know, how do you feel? Um, I, I, I took calls on this on the radio show this morning, and it's kind of what I predicted. I'm not backslapping here, but I, I said that this was going to be 
a totally different feeling about the team and about losing the Redskins name because the last two years were interim. It was Washington. Yeah, the Washington football team got made fun of, but it was still Washington. It still looked like our team with the exception of the helmets, you know, and no logo. Um, But the uniforms looked the same. And we were talking about a Washington-Dallas game and a Washington-Philly game, and we can still talk that way in the future. But I knew there was going to there was going to be something of a finality to the Redskins name, with an actual real name um, and a new look, uh, the Washington Commanders and the uniforms that you know certainly the road uni- road uniforms that won't look anything like anything we've ever rooted for in the past. I have yet to talk to one person of any age or demo demographic that likes what happened last week, likes the commanders, likes any of the new branding. You know, I don't want to just sit here and say they blew it because I think it was a hard thing to actually, um, you know, get right. Uh, I I do think, and I think I've mentioned this to Tommy and even before, I I think the, the easiest transition would have been Washington Warriors and keep the uniforms, change the logo, put some sort of, you know, the W on the helmet would have been fine, whatever. Um, I think that would have been the easiest transition, but this one is a jarring transition. Washington Commanders, you know, the the uniforms, none of which look like any team we've ever rooted for before. Okay, there's some burgundy and gold on the home uniforms. Um, it's an expansion team. That's where we are. It's an expansion team in town with, unfortunately, the same GD owner. And... It's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard. I don't want to be, um, you know, uh, so down on it. And I love talking about football and talking about the team. Um, But in terms of the passion for the team uh, to do well, to win, to root for them, man, last week and and a week later I'm sitting here and it's like, I I got an expansion team in town. How, How do you deal with that? Well, you know, unfortunately, it's got the same owner. You know, the Baltimore Colts left in 1983, was it? 82 or 83? And they didn't have football for over a decade before they got the Ravens, before the Browns moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. That's different. You know, they've embraced the Ravens, and it was probably pretty hard for Colts fans to do that, to embrace a new brand and a new name, but they didn't have football. We, we haven't lost football. And I and by the way, I I don't I'm not suggesting that I'd rather us lose football. No, and Washington would never lose football anyway. It's too big of a market with, you know, with too lucrative an opportunity for the league, which it's not being taken advantage of right now. But, um, you know, if we had been without football for ten years, it would have been much different because we would have been desperate for it to come back. I mean, those that are baseball fans, and I'm just barely old enough to remember when the Senators left, it was so cool to get the Nationals back. Didn't care that it was the Washington Nationals and not the Washington Senators. Of course, there wasn't the success or the attachment or the emotional attachment to the Senators like we had with the Redskins. And, by the way, the Nationals were a previous name of a Washington baseball organization way, way back in the day. Uh, But a week later... I don't know anybody that likes it. I don't know anybody that thinks they got it right. Um, and this is one of those things where they better win and win quickly 
or whatever's left of the fan base will be gone, and whatever they hope to attract in the, in the form of new and younger won't give it a shot. They have to win next year. If they want to have any chance to uh, uh, of resuscitating the business of the Washington football NFL team, the Commanders, they better win, and they better win in in a big way. They be they better be a contender next year in the NFC. And one more thing on this too, uh, because it is now final, right? And there's a new name, and there's everything new. Um, as you know, the expansion team with the same owner, um, you know, plans an off season and will play uh, a, a schedule next year with home games at FedEx Field. Um, I'm not going to refer to former players ever as commanders, ever. Okay, Daryl Green was a Washington Redskin. Art Monk was a Washington Redskin. John Riggins and Sonny Jurgensen and Joe Theismann were Washington Redskins. Sean Taylor was a Washington Redskin. Chris Cooley, Santana Moss were Washington Redskins. The RG3 Magical 2012 season, RG3 played for the Washington Redskins. But really, when you go back to the, the conversations that we have more often, at least among some of us, when we start talking about you know the glory years, Joe Gibbs coached the Washington Redskins. Uh, I'm not going to ever purchase, I'm not a jersey purchaser anyway, um, but it's not going to be pleasant to look at a Washington Commanders jersey with number 44 on it. Now, I, I, I know Rigo well, and I love John. Um, and John would be the first to tell you probably, I have no idea, I haven't talked to him, he couldn't care less as long as he's getting money for it. Um, and these things he does not care uh, deeply uh, about. Uh, obviously, he's got fond memories of being a Super Bowl MVP for this franchise. Um, but as a fan, um, no one's going to tell me uh, that John Riggins was a Washington commander ever. Anyway, uh, let's get to Howard Gutman and this investigation that the Washington commanders are going to uh, launch here shortly. Uh, we'll get to Howard right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two things before I get to this Howard Gutman introduction. Number one, there was some news that came out after I interviewed Howard for the podcast today. The NFL is now saying that the Washington investigation won't stop the league itself from conducting its own inquiry into Tiffany Johnston's allegations of sexual harassment. So I want you to I wanted you to know that. So you didn't think that I forgot to bring that up. Uh, This came out after my conversation uh, with Howard. And also, you'll hear me refer to the Roger Goodell sort of State of the Union Super Bowl press conference. I thought that was tomorrow or Friday. Um, I looked uh, at the TV uh, moments ago. It's actually happening today. Uh, But anyway, uh, here's my interview with Howard Gutman about the news today that Washington's launching an investigation uh, of the Tiffany Johnston allegations. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. It's a huge help if you do that on Apple uh, in particular, both of them. uh, But most of you are listening on Apple. And if you haven't rated us, uh, please do it whenever you get a chance. It takes 30 seconds and write a quick one to two sentence review about how much you like the podcast. Joining me on the podcast right now is Howard Gutman. Howard, longtime ambassador to Belgium uh, in the Obama administration, um, a very successful lawyer in town for years. Um, just one of the smartest people uh, in Washington, uh, for sure. And he's joining me right now. And I called you because I wanted to see what your reaction to Dan Snyder and the football team launching their own investigation into this Tiffany Johnston thing was, and you didn't know about it. So just to reset it again, and you've got, there are other things I want to talk to you about as well, um, but uh, earlier today it was announced that the commanders have hired an independent investigative team to look into Tiffany Johnston's allegations of sexual harassment against Dan Snyder. Um, Howard, you are aware of what Tiffany Johnston uh, told Congress last week. It was a new allegation, one that um, was not actually given to Beth Wilkinson and her report because T- Tiffany Johnston was never interviewed as one of the 150 witnesses. It was a new allegation. Snyder came out the next day through his attorney denying it and essentially calling her a liar. And now they're they're investigating this one allegation against him. Your reaction is what? It's a typical smoke and mirrors. Um, Their club is now taking the position that whatever happened before was settled by Beth Wilkinson that was resolved by the $10 million fine. That was not a fine. It was just directing the club's normal charitable contributions. And this is something new. And guess what? It will turn out that there will be no way to substantiate, uh, prove, disprove, or the like, whether 
Dan under the table, put his hand on the thigh, or put was trying to force someone in a car. So you can get as many great lawyers as you want. You can get every former U.S. attorney. They're going to say this allegation was not proven, but it speaks. But they're too cute by a half. That would then say, well, if you're going to release this one, right. you're going to release witness notes. You're going to release interview notes. You're going to release the report. Where is Beth Wilkinson's report? Where is all the other allegations? And what the club is going to say is, oh, no, 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 no. That one was done. A new one came up. And so we wanted to investigate the new one. And it just is neg The negative pregnancy is unbelievable. It just screams the question, why are you releasing this if you didn't release Beth's report? So you only decide to go down this path, correct me if I'm wrong, if you really believe that the allegation is either A, false, or B, completely unprovable, so that at the end of this, because they did announce also that the findings of this report would be released to the public. So this is like, you know, he's got this one allegation that is not provable. He can do an investigation. He can announce the, the, the findings of the investigation, which, by the way, I've already checked online. It's basically even money that he's going to be cleared of these allegations with this report. I'm kidding, of course, but of course that's going to be the result, right? And it ends up being almost a huge um, PR move where he can say, see... I mean, this allegation, you know, we had an independent investigation of it, and I was, you know, I, 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 it was found that it was not true, so you don't have to worry about any of the other stuff from the Beth Wilkinson report. Exactly where they're headed. Because, look, look at the nature of the allegations. It's at a dinner table. Did his hand go on her thigh? Did he, he might have, who knows what. And when you are going to your cars and you kind of have that Here's someone on their back. Was that something? And so the question is, when she says his lawyer says, Dan, 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 that wasn't a good, this is not a good idea. The lawyer's going to say, I don't remember any such thing. Dan's going to say, I don't remember any such thing. Tiffany's going to say, I do. And that's the end of it. And if he can get by that I was wrongfully accused of everything, look at the report we released. That puts to rest in his mind, it's not going to work, puts to rest in his mind uh, what the demands to release the Beth Wilkinson report. Um, the one part of the, you know, the, the allegations that Tiffany Johnston made, obviously the hand on her thigh underneath the table after she was asked to dress cute, uh, dress cute and then place next to him, um, that was not corroborated. What was corroborated by Jason Friedman, who was a VP with the, uh, with the football team at that point, was the attempt to push her into the limousine. However, you know, and the attorney was there. Uh, as well. Um, but th- wouldn't there be some, you know, question as to whether or not that is anything, you know, you know, whether it was aggressive or not aggressive, you know, it's, it's much different than placing your hand on a woman's thigh without being asked to, right? Kevin, when we had coffee, I offered you a ride. <laughs> that, you you did. exactly it. I did. I offered you a ride. And I, I by the way, I could have pointed to where my car was parked. And, and so if he has the limo, 
you and I come up in our our you know Priuses or whatever. He's come up in the big Danny limo, and of course, one of his signature moves. It's not a sexual signature move. It's an impress you signature move. It's whether he's with Benazir, Kevin Sheehan, or Tiffany. Is you with me. Let me give you a ride to your car in my limo because it's waiting right outside, and you had a park. You know, the 10-minute walk away because the venue's all crowded, except here's a limo waiting. That is, by the way, I know from a third party we both know, a very normal Dan move to say, take a ride in my limo to your car. I don't think that's sexual necessarily. That's just the sort of the Napoleon complex, the I'm a big guy complex. Right. So tell me about when you hire a supposed independent investigative team and you're paying that independent investigative team, what what does someone like me who doesn't understand this but would intuitively say, well, that's not very independent if you're paying them, how independent is it? What's that? What's the nature of him paying an independent investigative team to produce a result? Is it a bought and paid for result? Should I just assume that? No. So the Gibson Dunn lawyer will do the legitimate investigation. These are people who are quality. Normally, it's hired by the board of directors to report to the board. And if it's a public company, it can become public. This is the exact question on the Beth Wilkinson and this common interest uh, issue, which is if Danny and the NFL wanted to share conferences, each one with the other's lawyer without waiving their privilege, I don't see how that would cover Beth at all. I cannot imagine when the NFL took over the investigation, they said, but Beth will remain a lawyer for you, Dan. I can't imagine that when the NFL took over the investigation, the thought was anything Dan said to the lawyer or anybody else would be privileged. I don't believe what's happened is there's been a common interest privilege that's kept the report from coming out. I believe what happened is Goodell said in advance to Beth, before you come up with a final report, there are hundreds of, there are tens of thousands of pages of information There's hundreds of pages she wrote of interview memos. I know how long she did it. They do interview memos. They're in notes. But Goodell said, before you put it down, I want to hear where we're going. Once he heard where he was going, he said, do me a favor, don't put it down. Because unless he knows that the owners have the appetite to throw Danny out, it's just causing a headache. And I can tell you, the owners do not have an appetite. Kevin, if the standard was... Did you, owner of the club, ever put your hand on a young woman employee, cheerleader's thigh, unwantedly? How many of those owners would remain owners? Right. Right? Yeah, like, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the issue, right? Unless it's really, really something egregious, something that they just, if it ever came out, um, it would, could be devastating that they didn't do anything about it. It's the there for the grace of God go I if we take him down. That's, that's exactly it. So um, they're, they're not going to throw someone out for a hand on the thigh um, under the table once. I can't imagine what the other owners did. But in any event, you can prove that one. So by demanding that one be one that is a written report, 
you distract from the rest. It's, it's what else they've done. When the council said, we will release every email that's not attorney-client, right. why just the emails? What about the memos, the interview notes? Right. We don't care about the emails. Danny didn't write an email saying, I did it, you caught me. We don't need the emails. We need the interview notes. We need the, the preliminary drafts. I don't know why the club, so the club always says, releases something that said, makes it sound like they're being open, but it, if you look at what they've excluded by not mentioning it, you realize it's just a fake, a fake to the left. I want to stick with this latest report about this investigation into the Tiffany Johnston claim last week. Obviously, you can't do a thorough investigation without interviewing Tiffany Johnston. What what incentive would she have if you were her attorney, or what will her attorney tell her as to whether or not to meet with this investigator that, that is, you know, again, and you said these are credible people and they're going to do a real investigative report, et cetera, but do you think she'll sit down and talk to these investigators or not? Of course. It does. At this point, first of all, Gibson Dunn is a totally credible firm. They will report just okay. what she says. Second, she's already said it all. Third, and on the club's behalf, you've got to understand people now with having hired Deborah Katz. Deborah Katz is a fabulous lawyer. I would never want her trained against me because she's going to go after unrelentingly to get sexual harassment victims or alleged victims. I wasn't there, and I don't know. Victims or alleged victims, compensation. So at this point, once they're public, there is incentive on, on the Danny's defense. There is incentive for people to now remember, you know when he gave me that look? That look meant this. Or you know when he brushed me like this? Or you know when I sat next to him? Didn't he put his hand on my thigh? So I'm not saying Tiffany Johnson's making anything up. I'm not saying she's not making anything up. But there is economic incentive going the other way. Right. Um, so this becomes a he said, she said. We don't know what the truth is. But the one thing we do know is the club saying they'll do this one and release this one should not distract anyone from saying, well, of course you're going to release this one, but where's the Wilkinson waiver? Right, because going into this, as we said at the very beginning, we pretty much can predict the result of this investigation. You know, the fact that they've already said we're going to release it all, we can predict what the result will be. Now, another question about Tiffany Johnston. This would have to be, for Dan and the team, this would have to be pretty strict in terms of what they are investigating, right? Like, what if Tiffany Johnston or somebody else that's interviewed, um, you know, says something that leads to another uh, accusation or another a figure that maybe we don't even know of or perhaps is in the Beth Wilkinson report. Going into this investigation, it would have to be really spelled out very clearly that this is an investigation of Tiffany Johnston's claim and nothing else, right? Absolutely, and you've hit your you've, you hit it on the head. If I were Gibson and I want to do it legitimately, to know one of he said, she said, whether it's he said or she said, I've got to know who they are. So that, to me, would reopen the entire Beth Wilkinson investigation. I would want to know, did you ever have any other personal problems with other female employees and reopen it? So I guarantee you 
The retainer agreement, which is what we ought to see, will spell out dates, times, and limits as sharply as they could. And even if it did, I would try to take the position, not because I'm not because I'm trying to create trouble for anybody if I were the investigator, but because even if I'm only investigating an incident that took place yesterday, that's what I'm investigating. But to do so, I need to know what you did a year ago and five years ago to understand who these people are. So it will have to, the, the retainer agreement will have to try to avoid it but this could spin out of control for the for the commanders. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because if it's not truly defined and if they don't um you know put some sort of a limit on what they can do, yeah, I mean the way you just explained it is so logical. It's like not only to find out something about Tiffany Johnston but to find out about Dan and about anybody else that's come forward, this could sp- like could this backfire on him? We know that a lot of the stuff they've done over the years, like there isn't a lot of thought that goes into it, and sometimes it does backfire. Could it backfire? Kevin, rule number one is the criminal defense attorney is when your clients in a hole, tell them to stop digging. They should never have reopened this. Yes, Dan should have said in one second enough of this hand on the ankle hand on the thigh 13 years ago she retired with a happy letter i'm not dignifying any of these anymore enough instead he said oh i might actually be innocent this one let me prove my innocence and he reopened it to a way where ultimately i never thought this would take him down but if you give enough opportunities eventually something could could fall he just, it's always, he's playing chess one move ahead. And I know that's how I play checkers, so I shouldn't be playing chess. But this is a mistake. He should have poo-pooed it, walked on, and never addressed it again. You don't see Robert Kraft now demanding investigations as to how many times he's walked by massage parlors without <laughs> going in. Right. Right, like there's, you know, the NFL strategy, right, has always been, you know what, the games will come on Sunday and we will four corner Dean Smith this thing out. Like eventually it'll go away. And by the way, until the emails came out with the John Gruden thing, it had really started to go away. But Dan can't handle it that way. You know, whether it's going after Bruce and Dwight Shar and all of those lawsuits. I think every time they get into this, and, and even the statements, I think I've mentioned this to you before, and it, this is just reminding me of just kind of the mistakes they make. You know, I can't believe that somebody, I've mentioned it many times, doesn't say, Dan, stop talking about these allegations every time they come up being so old. He always refers to them as being old, you know, 10 years, 15 years, and this most recent thing 13 years ago. And then on, on this, at the same time, he'll say, you know, I've got to get more involved. I haven't been involved in recent years. Well, this is easy calendar math. When he was involved is when all of the allegations took place. It was when he wasn't as involved, or at least he's trying to tell you he wasn't as involved, and it was all Bruce's fault, is when we don't have any of these allegations. It's amazing to me. The minute he came up with this idea that this one I'm fine, why don't we do an investigation? Somebody should have said, why don't you shut up? Why don't we talk next about our name? 
our number one draft pick, search for the quarterback and our stadium. And why don't we put stories about football on top of your mess and have it go away? And instead, we now have to talk about credentials of Gibson Dunn lawyers. In the, in the pantheon of bad ideas, this is right at the top. It is right at the top, but I want to I want to just summarize this because I have a couple of other things I want to talk to you about. The odds are stacked heavily that they're pursuing something that they know more likely than not, even though they trip over themselves all the time and things backfire on them all the time. More than likely, they 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 feel like the outcome of this one is going to be a press release. Correct. Okay. Um, by the way, how long will this take? I'm just curious. Um, it depends on the question you asked earlier. If it's Tiffany Johnson and the one guy who corroborated and the lawyer and Dan, uh, it'll take two months because lawyers have to bill at least two months even. In, um, but if it slips open, if the crack gets opened, it's another Beth Wilkinson, uh, and we'll be look- we might be here next year providing plenty of talk radio. You know, one of the things that they should not have done in this release press release about this investigation is to commit to making those findings um, public. Like you, you, you didn't, I mean, I, I'm sure it would have been asked and people would have said, well, is this one going to be kept private to the results of it? But once you commit up front to the findings being uh, made public at the end of this, and then you change your mind because you don't like the result. Well, then we know what the result was. Um, okay. So has anything, as we talked to Howard Gutman, one of the smartest people in Washington, and, and I love how you're just able to put this um, very succinctly, always. So tell me about the last week here with respect to the congressional stuff um, and then the you know common interest agreement. Did any of what's happened over the last week push forward the possibility or increase the possibility that A, we get to see the Beth Wilkinson report. B, he loses his team. Um, there, we got closer because it's alive. If, if he had just put it to sleep, it would, be, it would remain asleep. The common interest agreement, I don't think, prevents um, Beth Wilkinson's uh, material from being released. What I believe happened was Beth has hundreds of pages of interview notes with her team. She had a large team at at her firm doing this. She has hundreds of pages of interviews. She has draft sections written by associates. And she probably went to see Jeff Pash, who's a 40-year buddy of mine, a classmate of mine, the general counsel of the NFL and Goodell, and said, here's where I come out. And Goodell said, hold on a little bit. He talked to some of the owners, Jerry Jones, Kraft, and the like, and they called back and said, you know, Beth, You know, all that work and paper and stuff, let's not put it down, but there's plenty of stuff that exists right up to that point. And will it come out? Well, it depends on how how much how many mistakes are made. When the club this week said we'll release all emails, somebody should have said, Why just emails? What about memos and witness interviews from any witness who agrees? Which will be every witness. Someone's gotta ask that question. But eventually these questions will be asked. But here's the last thing we don't really know. We don't really know if when you put it all out there, whether there's anything Dan did himself or whether it's just that there was a heinous environment by a football club 
in the last 20 years, which I suspect obviously is true, and I suspect the Washington Redskins, the Washington football team, were no different than some of the other clubs. There probably was pretty bad locker rooms. When you do it in Washington, it's going to be pretty appalling. I think this week, and I was thinking about this as you were just talking, Roger Goodell holds, you know, the State of the Union of the NFL uh, during Super Bowl week. And there are going to be a lot of questions about this. And I'm not suggesting that this isn't going to be asked. But one of the questions that should be asked of Roger Goodell is what were Beth Wilkinson's recommendations at the end of her, of her report? And did you follow them? Because, yep. you, because there, was a, there was a report by Jason Bishop. I know Jason very well, the 106.7, the fan, sports junkies, you know, almost a year ago that they had, they had gotten a, a copy of a report um, that was recommending that Dan be fo- uh, forced out of the league to sell the team, and the league vehemently denied. But what they were denying is that they had received a report. I think somebody's got to ask Goodell, just what were Beth Wilkinson's recommendations? And was and by the way, was one of them that Dan Snyder should be uh, should be forced to sell the team? Or it's that that level? I don't. I mean, I don't know how he'll handle the question, but they've got to ask that question. Can you think of any others? That is the perfect question, and here's the the million dollar issue that follows, which is, does he say? That is attorney-client privilege information because that's his only out. That then says, wait a minute, which this is the question that jumped with the common interest. You're taking the position that Beth Wilkinson was acting in her investigative capacity as either your lawyer, Dan's lawyer, or both? And to ask it that way, that's where the pressure... No one's ever articulated that what they're saying by this common interest agreement, if that's the reason it's being withheld, is that Beth wasn't hired by an organization to report about its personnel, including its owner. It wasn't hired by the league to report on the owner of one of its teams. It was hired by the owner of the team as the client. And there's no way in which that investigation, when it was taken over by the NFL, could pos- should possibly have been structured that the NFL is having uh, a very respected and talented lawyer review the conduct of the owner of the Washington Redskins at the time she remains his attorney. That can't be, but that's the only way Roger Goodell could say, I'm not going to tell you. Well, he could, he could say it's attorney-client, or he could say that's internal private at the league. And you tell me what that second set, sentence meant, internal private at the league. So you're saying it can be told. You just prefer not to let us know what the smartest investigator who took a year, got paid millions of dollars by the league, concluded. So why did you do it? Right. If, if you exonerate him, we'll, we'll reveal it. But if you don't, we're going to bury it. But I'm sure Jerry Jones, I'm not, I'm not demeaning Jerry Jones or just a generic owner, whoever he consults with. Remember, Roger Goodell answers to 32 bosses, 31 in that case, because Dan couldn't really say it. Jeff Pash is a fabulous lawyer, he was a classmate of mine, a friend of mine. 
but his job turns on 32 bosses. And if they say, look, if, if Dan goes down for this, unsaid, a lot of us would do this. There wasn't, you know, cheerleaders and, and champagne parties and lack of respect and misogynistic conduct. We're talking football players and, and rich guys in the 80s and the 90s and the aughts. Um, they're all in trouble. Bury it. Roger Goodell is gritting his teeth because for what he makes, I would grit my teeth as well. By the way, I think the answer that Goodell would give, or maybe I would recommend that he give, is we took Beth's recommendations and we uh, ended up fining the team $10 million, uh, which is the largest fine ever imposed on one of our teams for an environment that, and then go through everything that was in that press statement back in June or July, whenever it came out, about a toxic culture, about a culture that was not, uh, that was misogynistic, that was uh, included bullying and intimidating. Essentially, just read the press release on the $10 million fine. You know, we took Beth's recommendations and we decided, but, but that's not answering the question, but I think that's how he would get around it. I, I, you know, the, the report from, from 1067, the fan, the, the junkies a year ago, really focused more on Beth Wilkinson's recommendation being a recommendation because of not necessarily what she uncovered in her investigation, but Snyder's attempt to influence the investigation, to cover up part of the investigation, to stop various people from talking, even though ultimately I think they released, you know, almost everybody from the NDAs. But, you know, obviously the league took that investigation back from Dan, and apparently that was Beth's gripe, according to the report. Does that make sense to you? Yes, but only if when the league took it back, there was no longer a privilege with the Washington Redskins at the time, or their, its owner, and if Beth was independent to do an investigation, which she was, I'm sure nobody tampered at the league level with her investigation. What they finally said is, thank you, you've done a great job, we're not going to tell anybody what you found out. Um, you didn't answer the question, did we get... Or have we gotten any closer? Well, you did answer the question. I mean, I know what your answer is based on this conversation. You don't think we've gotten any closer to Dan losing the team because of, you know, we keep coming back to the default, which makes a lot of sense. And the default is, unless it was really terrible, these owners aren't going down that path. These owners are not going to throw Dan out over, um, over a bad environment over words that had innuendo or over kind of passing, spontaneous touching. He would have had to assault somebody, or, and we have no idea, of, you know, no allegations for, for um, uh, race, uh, and, race and homophobic or any of that stuff. We haven't had any of that. Which not, we, none you, of that. Yeah. And he's, he's not, I mean, I don't, I don't have any reason to believe. He is, he's generally kind of regarded as a bully and sort of a Napoleon, yep. but I suspect there wouldn't, there, that wouldn't be alone, he wouldn't be alone among the owners there. Yeah. Um, I know this has nothing to do with specifically what we're just talking about, but why, do you, why does he want to own this team? Why does he want to fight this fight every, you know, 
uh, every couple of weeks, every couple of days. Why does he, you know, I often say that I don't think he realizes how um, despised he is in this town. I, I, I think that there's some shelter there from that. But, but they do know, they have to know at this point. Why the hell would he want to own this team now rather than just selling it for $5 billion? We know now exactly because of what they did today. He believes right around the corner, if only he could get to X, he would be exonerated. And so today he saw this as an opening to get an exoneration today. The let's look at the Tiffany Johnson allegations and write a report. He thinks that's his exoneration as as opposed to bringing him back down again. So, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit like the Kevin Sheehan advice on gambling, which is if you're down a lot, don't stop betting. <laughs> well, you got to have big kahunas to understand that if you are down, you're not going to get it back inching your way back. You're going to get it back by thinking big. But my real advice is don't gamble uh, unless you really can afford to lose money uh, because you will uh, lose money. Um I know that there's so many other things that I want to talk to you about. You have kind of a theory on how we got to commanders. You've got some thoughts on Brian Flores. Can we do that maybe one day next week? Love to to do it. I got to tell you, the commanders or the absence of considering others speaks volumes on the issues we were talking about with Danny. And if you read Peter King today talking about how if the Giants had really didn't consider Brian Flores, they've got trouble. And if Stephen Ross offered him um, 100000 a game to throw it, he's got trouble. Peter King has no idea about law and either of those issues. The Brian Flores complaint is worth everybody reading. Um, it's a fascinating. I love to come on and talk about it. I, let's, let's do that maybe uh, much sooner rather than later. Um, thank you, as always. Appreciate it, Howard. My pleasure. All the best, Kevin. Howard Gutman, everybody. Uh, man, I enjoy my conversations with Howard. I really do. Uh, that was that was fun. More importantly, it was very informative. And we'll get him on the show next week to talk about some of those other things. I mean, the Stephen Ross situation in Miami, the Brian Flores lawsuit against the league, a lot of stuff that uh, Howard really does understand, and he's able to communicate it uh, so well. Uh, up next, uh, why... Why would Seattle think about trading Russell Wilson? We'll get the answer from someone who covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic right after these words from a few of our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
All right, let's welcome onto the show Michael Sean Dugar. Mike uh, covers uh, the Seahawks for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar, D-U-G-A-R. We had Mike on right before Seattle um, played Washington on Monday Night Football in November. And, Michael, we want to talk quarterback here and Russell Wilson specifically because we are in one of those quarterback um, desperate um, markets uh, here in D.C. Um, But before we get to that, I was thinking uh, about um, you and, and everybody else in Seattle that has that have had the luxury year in and year out of covering big games, or if you're a fan of the team, you know, rooting for a team in big games year in and year out for a decade now. I mean, Seattle's been pretty much a contender year in and year out, and yet this year, for the first time in a, in a while, I know you didn't go to the playoffs a, a few years ago, but you know, you guys were legitimately out of it with you know still weeks left in the season. What was that like? to cover a team for the first time that was really, uh, you know, out of it for most of the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, uh, they were, they were eliminated from the postseason on like December, whenever they played the Rams on like that weird Tuesday, because that's when all the games got shuffled. That was like right before Christmas or something like that. I don't think they've ever been eliminated that early, uh, under Pete Carroll since 2011. Like even the year in 2017, they didn't make the postseason. It it, it came down to like the final uh, year or the final game of the year, the final kick by Blair Walsh. Uh, I think at that point the Panthers had lost or something like that, so they were done. But we didn't find that out until like two minutes left in the fourth quarter. So it was, at, there's always been meaningful football in December in Seattle, and like after Christmas, everything was just irrelevant. It was a very weird uh, feeling uh, in the building. That must be nice. Been a long time feeling that way around here. 2018 and 19, it felt kind of shaky. Uh, but like generally speaking, it's always kind of been, hey, if the Seahawks have Russell Wilson, they got a shot. Um, this was the kind of one year that didn't hold true. Uh, although this is also the one year Russell Wilson missed a month of the season uh, and then came back and stunk for a month. So just kind of threw the mask off. But yeah, it's uh, people. some people kind of push back at me when I say like, every season of the championship or bust it's like it is and i'm echoing the feelings of the guys in the building they all want to win a championship every year or like being the running for one like there's no this whole losing the wild card round and losing the divisional round that's not it you know pete expects to win a champ pete carroll expects to win every year you know if you ask him about the uh, the beast quake uh run in 2010 that marshawn lynch uh run against the saints in the wild card round in the playoffs right so be like all right yeah that, that was a great run but we lost to Chicago the next week. You know, he'll, he'll always say, he almost always says that after. Why? Because that run did not win them a championship. It got them a touchdown. One touchdown. That's it. One great touchdown, but the goal was bigger than one touchdown. So that's, when I say things a championship or bust around here, like that, that's not just me. That's the coaching staff. That's the players. That's the captains. Like everyone feels like that's what they should be competing for every year. All right, Michael, let's, let's talk about why I called you. Because... Our team here is in dire need of a quarterback, as are, by the way, now many teams. I mean, probably more teams this offseason than even last year are legitimately going to be trying to swing big you know, to, to land a quarterback, whether it's, you know, free agency trade or in the draft. And that's consuming the conversation around here these days, you know, after the whole naming thing of, of last week um, and congressional inquiries and all the other stuff that our franchise deals with. But I want to focus on football. 
why do I and other NFL media people and other NFL fans, why is there kind of a collective thought in the NFL community, um, if you will, that Russell Wilson could get traded or wants to be traded? Um, because he let us know that he wanted to be. I mean, I think that's that's an underrated part about all this is that Russell Wilson, even though he doesn't have that reputation, uh, you know, across sports, like he basically pulled a James Harden or a, you know, a Jalen Ramsey or Stephon Diggs, like guys that like let everyone know publicly, like, yo, this where I'm at right now, this may not be the best thing for me. Now, those those guys are all just named eventually got moved and Russ hasn't, but they, you know, they had a they had a spell there where they were kind of viewed, and Odell Beckham uh, as well. Like they had a spell there where they were viewed as like not cancer, but you know, the the malcontent, you know, the the diva or whatever, like the the guy who needed to get out of there to fix the locker room, quote unquote. Russell hasn't gone that far, mostly because he didn't say definitively that he wanted to trade. But you think about it, most of the trade stuff has come. It's like people say sources close to Wilson or whatever. You know, it's very rarely the teams like, yeah, now we want this guy out of here, or the Seahawks are shopping Russell Wilson. Even last year, I think the report was from like CBS that the Seahawks have have gotten calls. That means they received them. They probably call nobody, right? And even even John Snyder, the GM, acknowledged last year, he was like, yeah, teams called, and I didn't negotiate with any of them. You know, so it, it doesn't seem like the teams generate anything. So when you say like, uh, not use it specifically, but like, oh, Russell Wilson on the trade block, like I don't know. I don't think the Seahawks feel that way. Does Russell Wilson feel that way? Is probably a different way of framing the question that's a bit more uh, pertinent to the discussion. I just think that he's kind of in control of this more than the team, which makes sense because there's no trade clause. Even if they wanted to trade him, he could just be like, no, I love it here. Uh, so I, I don't know where Russ's head is at uh, on that. You know, he said nothing but go Hawks on the record uh, since he was at the Pro Bowl and kind of showed everyone his fingers healed. I don't know, was that just to show Seattle fans his fingers healed, national media, other teams that may want him? Uh, you know, who's, who knows where his head is at right now? So let's not bury the lead. Do you think that he'll get traded in this offseason, yes or no? I don't think so. Um, I don't think that a rational Russell Wilson can look around the league and – decide that there's a better opportunity out there for him to immediately win championships. I just don't think so. I have to say Seattle's got the best roster or whatever right now, but it's the grass is not always greener. And I think Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers will both sit down if they're rational. Right? They're not, neither one of those two quarterbacks always acts rationally. You know, Aaron Rodgers showed his funky feet uh, on Zoom, and Russ had the Bears on his list last year. So, like, those two aren't <laughs> always thinking straight, right, Russ? You know, Roger's taking uh, uh, science advice from Joe Rogan. Uh, so you got to be careful thinking that, assuming that everyone's going to act rationally. But if they do, I just don't see a scenario where Russ looks around and is like, yep, this spot is better for me than here. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. So why, you mentioned it comes from Russ. Why, why did it come from Russ last year? And, you know, we don't know if it'll come from Russ this year or not, but why? Why why did he speak to the possibility of being traded or wanting to be? Uh, I mean, this is, I would assume the same reason that all those guys that I mentioned do. I mean, look at all the guys who've gotten traded recently, with the exception of maybe like Khalil Mack. Um, like, some of the bigger names that uh, got traded, they wanted out. You know, Stephon Diggs is like, man, Kirk stinks. Get me out of here. Right? He's like, all right, sent him to Buffalo. Jalen Ramsey was like, I hate Jacksonville. He didn't say that 
specifically, but Chandler's like, I want out of here. There's been plenty of guys who just wanted to change the situation. I think Russ's love for Seattle and the city and the franchise is, is, is conditional, like anything else. Like, hey, you know, I love Seattle as long as I can win multiple championships here. You know, that's kind of how he views it. You know, he wants to win multiple. This is a guy who went to two in his first three seasons. You know, like he, he lost to Tom Brady in the, tw- in the 2014 season Super Bowl. And then Brady went, proceeded to make like three more Super Bowls. And Russ hasn't cracked the NFC title game since, right? That matters to him. You know, it matters to him when he's been hot uh, for years. And then out of nowhere kind of comes Patrick Mahomes, wins MVP. And then Russ starts on fire. And then Lamar comes out of nowhere and wins MVP, you know. And now, like, Joe Burrow's kind of the, the new hotness on the block, right? Like, that matters. That matters to Russ. Um, and if he doesn't feel like the situation he's currently in can elevate him to legendary status, a multiple-time Super Bowl-winning champion, he'll act out. You know, and I think any quarterback who cares about his legacy as much as Russ does, uh, you know, will always prioritize winning over his, you know, sentiments towards any city or any franchise. Um, people listening um, know that you touched a nerve there when you said Stefan Diggs hates Kirk and wanted out. Um, so I'll just respond to it because people will be wondering why I didn't respond to it. Uh, Stefan Diggs couldn't stand Mike Zimmer either, as do a lot of the offensive players there, <laughs> um, which is why he's gone. Um, but uh, we will we'll leave that one there. But, you know, I, I where do you think Russ is in his career right now in terms of the, the quality of play? player he has I understand he was hurt you and I talked about that before the Washington game he probably came back too early for the Packer game at Lambeau Um, and then all of a sudden by the way at the end of the year they won four of their final six they beat the 49ers they beat the Cardinals when the Cardinals had to have it and I know Rashad Penny got got rolling you know after he got healthy Um, but what kind of Russell Wilson is Seattle or somebody else going to see next year and beyond where is he at this point in his career? Uh, I think he's still an elite quarterback, man. I just think that he he hit a spell there where he got – well, he got hurt, so there's that. And he came back too soon and sunk it up for a month. You know, Now, if he was like a rookie quarterback or something like that or a younger guy like Carson Wentz, you know, when he kind of hit the downside, then maybe I'd be like, all right, something's wrong here. But no, I think he's got a huge – 10-year sample size or like nine-and-a-half-year sample size of – High quality football, high quality accuracy uh, for one, and I think that shows up every time he goes to the damn Pro Bowl and just smokes everyone in these throwing contests because he can really sling it at a level that's just much higher than a lot of other people. You know, he's an elite quarterback. He's an elite thrower of the football. Like I think I need to isolate that part right there. Like I don't think there's very many quarterbacks who throw a better deep ball. Um, And he was just when you break a finger on your throwing hand, that impacts your accuracy a little bit. Um, but, you know, I always thought this was interesting. You know, the doctor told him, what, six, eight weeks after he broke his finger against the Rams, surgery was the next day. Um, and Russ was like, you know, I'll just come back in three or four. And it's like, well, I guess that sounded good in the real time. And he comes back and he stinks. And it's like, well, maybe you should have waited the eight weeks. And I think if you go back and count as if he'd have missed eight weeks, like the doctor said initially, I bet you his numbers just from there start there. And I bet you they're way better, right, when he was actually healed. So I expect, um, Russ to come back and look like an MVP caliber quarterback in 2022 because the talent is there. Michael, what's he like? I mean, there's been so much written about him and, 
you know, a, a lot speculated on from, you know, outside looking in, especially when he was looking potentially to get traded last year. You know, what's he what's he like what, to cover? What's he like with his teammates in the locker room, et cetera? That feels like I haven't been in the locker room since the Stone Age. Well, yeah, of course. Um, but uh, uh, it's an interesting dynamic because um, Russ is like bona fide leader, um, and he's older. You know, he's thirty three, I think. And so um, you get some of these guys that come in. You know, how they view Russ is a little different than how guys viewed him who like in his draft class or like in the draft class before or just maybe right after before he became like that guy. You know, superstar, all these endorsements, superstar wife, like. The guys who grew up kind of, not grew up, but, you know, came up watching him in high school and, you know, they were in high school when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl or they were in college when the Legion of Boom was a thing. Like, there's a there's a reverence for Russ. That's a little different than maybe, like, someone like Bobby Wagner, who's the same age as Russ, same draft class, who just maybe see his, sees him as more of a peer um, than someone to look up to. You know, like, DK, uh, Russ calls DK like his little brother. You know, and it's because Russ is, I think, like nine years older than him or something like that. So I think that a lot of those guys, when he gets in the huddle, you know, they're seeing and listening to him in crunch time. They're, they're listening and seeing a guy that was, they saw, you know, throw the game winning uh, touchdown in the NFC title game in 2014 or all the playoff games they've seen him ball out or all the primetime games that Seattle has had while they were in high school or while they were in college or they were on some other crappy team you know, earlier in their career. So there's just guys that look up to him in that way. Um, I can't speak to like whether everybody's homies and go to their kids' birthday parties or whatever. Who knows? But how does he, um, how does he that handle that adulation? If, I mean, if maybe that's the wrong way to describe it, but how does he handle that? Is he down to earth? I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been after, he wants people to look at him like the best quarterback there ever was. You know, he's he's always the spotlight has always been his thing. You know, he's always want people to look toward him, look at him, look up to him. Um, like and not in an arrogant way, but just like he you know, he think he considers pressure to be a privilege, right? He considers if people have high expectations of you, that's good, you know, embrace that, uh and, and go deliver. You know, I think he in college he used to walk around N C State like passing out Russell Wilson Enterprise business cards. And he didn't even have no business, you know, at the time. You know, just, I've never heard he, that he just, story. He, I'm pretty sure it was either NC State or Wisconsin that he had the business cards um, and didn't even have a company. You know, it was it was weird. Uh, but, like, that's just who he is. You know, his dad used to train him for press conferences, you know, when he was, like, six or seven years old. You know, like, he's he's been he, – he always behaves as, like, someone's watching him. So when people are watching him, whether it's cameras or teammates or media or whatever, he's always on. He's always on. I don't know if that translates to down to earth necessarily, but it's not like – arrogant or cocky he's just prepared you know when you're preparing for this moment for so long you know it, it doesn't phase you it just kind of becomes your normal behavior and then what's the relationship like between pete carroll and russell wilson i think those two are really similar like in a spooky kind of way it's like the way that they don't allow themselves to think negatively like they will reject a question if it like it's framed negatively they think that they're so ultra positive in the face of adversity they like are legitimately versions of like that that gif from game of thrones where it's john snow like pulls out the sword and there's like an army coming at him and it's just him yeah like the, the pete, pete and russ see themselves in that situation it's like i'm gonna cut everyone's head off like that's even if it's just me and this blade 
uh, like they, you know, Pete wrote a book in 2010 called Win Forever. And, you know, Russ had his first biological son in, I think, like 2019, and he named him Win. You know, like they, they just have this addiction to winning, the, the ultimate optimist. You know, I don't really think anything matters to them other than, than winning and being great. Uh, and I think they just bond because of that. But does that cause some friction in terms of philosophy? Or maybe a little bit. You know, I think Russ would like more personnel control uh, and free agency, maybe draft picks, whatever, trades. Um, where Russ like to throw the ball a little bit more, sure. But at the end of the day, they're just so results-based, you know. They, they, they click as long as they're achieving the thing that they're addicted to, which is probably why it's been a little harder on both of them the last few years because they're just not a championship team. And that's all those guys are chasing. So uh, I think like any relationship, when you're not you're not reaching the goals that you guys want, it gets tougher. Uh, but at the end of the day, when they reset in the offseason, they both like, all right, well, this year we're going to win, even if it sounds illogical to everyone else who looks at the roster. John Snow's sword was pretty cool because it was made of Valerian steel. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, we're talking to Michael Sean Duger, who covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. All right, last one. Um, and you answered this already, but, I, you know, in the discussions here, it's like I keep coming back to why would Seattle bring Pete Carroll back, you know, and try to run it back and then somehow end up dealing Russell Wilson. You have, I and I agree with you, you have an elite quarterback. You have one of the guys. Like, it's so hard to find one. Trust me. They've been trying to find one here for over three decades. Um, and to me, it just it doesn't make sense that they would deal him unless he were super unhappy and kind of forced his way out. And again, just to reiterate, you don't see that happening. No, the, here's the only scenario that I that I see, and I mentioned this when I talked to the the, the homie Ben who covers Washington for the Athletic just the other day. I, I the only scenario I could possibly see is that when Russ does try to you know have that conversation with Pete and John Schneider and like, hey, all right, well, we went seven and ten last year. What are we going to do to you know get to the Super Bowl? You know, especially if the Rams win it. You know, I think that'll be like, all right, this team in our division is there. How can we get to where they are? It'll be a really easy benchmark to identify. He could either a not like the plan that they map out and be like, oh, that's what we're going to do. That stinks. Trade me to the Raiders. You know, he could. Or he could just be like, well, or they could not even tell him the plan. Like, hey, man, we got this. Worry about it. Um, you know, we got the free agent thing. We got the draft thing. We get paid to do this. You know, we'll holler at you at OTAs. Now, in either of those scenarios, that could really piss Russell off uh, and cause him to be like, look, man, if you're not even going to tell me the plan, then get me out. Or if you tell me the plan and it stinks, then get me out too. I don't know how likely those scenarios are, but I, I could see it. You know, quarter quarterbacks having control over their situation has kind of become the topic lately, you know, whether it's Tom Brady getting the guys he wants in Tampa or right. Aaron Rodgers being pissed that they cut like third string tight ends that he loves or <laughs> right. something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think, I think even Joe Burrow had mentioned like that he, he has that personnel power or he wants it or something like that. in some of his Super Bowl interviews and Russ has said it on record that he wants that as well. So I think if there's a world where if, if he hears the plan to get better and it's like that's not going to get us where we need to be go ahead and send me somewhere where i like their plan a little better um then i think he could he could be dealt in that scenario okay so you since you brought up that scenario and by the way you you interjected there trade me to the raiders like is that where you think he'd want to go where do you think he'd if if they decided collectively we're going to deal you 
where do you think he'd want to go? Um, that's a good question. I, I would have before Sean Payton's retirement, I would have said easily the same. Um, I just think that he's he's drawn to these offensive-minded coaches um, and just wants to be in that situation. I don't think with Dennis Allen there, the allure is the same. Uh, I think that's probably why he had the Raiders on there when John Gruden was the coach because, you know, John Gruden for years doing that QB stuff before the draft. Quarterback just kind of viewed him as a QB whisperer coming up. Um, so at this point, you know, I, I think the best options are probably, if I was him, uh, man, that's tough. I mean, the Raiders aren't a bad option, but that division is just so damn tough, which is why I would feel weird about, you know, if I, if I was him going to the, the Broncos, too. Um, who else needs quarterbacks? Help me out here. Let me see. Let me think about some destinations. Well, I mean, in the AFC, the two teams that are, are most desperate right now are Denver and Pittsburgh. And and I've in, in discussing that I've, I I would think that if they came to to an agreement that they're going to deal him, that the team would want to deal him to an AFC team. And then in the NFC, Correct. the teams that are super desperate are Washington, Carolina, New Orleans, and now Tampa. Um, Washington's obviously of all of the markets the biggest market. It's on the East Coast. It's a forty minute you know private jet right uh, jet uh, to New York City. Um, and you know, uh, the, the, I don't think Washington would be dismissed as many players dismiss Washington probably from their list for a lot of reasons to begin, to begin with. Plus he's from Richmond. So those are the teams that are desperate for quarterbacks. And we know those teams are, there might be more. I mean, you know, we don't know what'll happen in Minnesota. You know, if, if cousins is going to stick with O'Connell or if his $45 million cap hit uh, means he gets dealt. Um, but those are the teams really that I, you know, I don't think I'm missing any. Okay. So, uh, that, that's good. That helps. So I think that if they, you're right, that the Seahawks would want to send him to the AFC just cause yeah, who wants to deal with like a rest revenge tour? If you're the Seahawks, I would say, the best thing is probably Pittsburgh. I forgot about them. Yeah, because Big Ben's out of there. That's probably the best. Honestly, a sleeper one that you didn't mention, I didn't think about until you mentioned Pittsburgh, was Cleveland. Um, Cleveland's team is built really well. Um, I like their front office. Uh, I like their coach. You know, I like their approach to just team roster construction. Uh, that would be a really uh, interesting one. That division's obviously tough as well, but, I mean, it ain't no tougher than the, the NFC West. That would be Those two of the AFC are, are probably the most interesting, I would say. Uh, I'm just not as sold on on Denver as much as because they're a little bit of a wild card from the owner from ownership down to you know the head coach. That's just too many wild cards for me. Um, on the NFC, obviously Tampa is like makes the most sense. The team is just so damn good already. Even if they lose a few pieces, you know here and there, they're just really good. And I think the, their division stinks. Uh, Washington's an interesting one because I mean they have to give up some pieces in return plus the draft pick. Like who would who would Washington throw in there as like a player, um, you know that that well, would really well. What do you really guys help that deal? Well, I mean, if you put it this way, if Seattle trades Russ, they're rebuilding, right? That's p- pretty fair to come to a conclusion on. They're, they're just they've decided to start over, which is why I keep I, I can't get past that, uh, and and why I've come to the conclusion that you know more. I, I I'm with you. I think Russ stays in Seattle, and I think it's a pretty good bet that 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 uh, Rogers probably ends up in Green Bay. Um, but what would they need? They need picks. You know, obviously uh, Russell Wilson's going to get 
two firsts minimum, and Washington's got number 11 this year. Um, you know, maybe, you know, another, you know, a second, a third, and maybe a player. You know, Deron Payne for Washington is an interior defensive tackle, extremely talented, um, a good player already, getting better. Um, and, you know, he's they're going to have to make the decision on whether or not to pay him here shortly. And they've got John Allen and they've got, you know, Chase, Chase Young and Montez Sweat on that defensive line that they're going to have to pay. So, you know, that's the kind of player that we've talked about here that would probably be involved. But I would imagine with a team that's going to start over, it would be a lot of picks. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. But they'd also they they'd want some some assets and, and younger uh, players or something or guys on some friendly contracts or whatever in return to. I also think that if Seattle was ever to do move Russ, they're asking for three first rounders for sure. Um, like that's what are we negotiating the deal here together? You for Seattle, me for Washington. I'll give you two firsts. Uh, I'll give you my second, and I'll throw in Deron Payne. But I'm not giving you three yeah, ones. I don't, I, yeah, I think that any team that's not offering three is getting hung up on. I just you got to remember, like, look look at what two firsts have have gotten teams right. That team two firsts got you Larry Tunsil. Two firsts got you Jalen Ramsey. Two firsts got you the Will Larry Mack, Tunsil right? deal. Two firsts got. Do you know how often we have talked about the Laramie Tunsil deal here in Washington, uh, Michael? Over the years, it's all because Trent Williams was. Should have been traded for something approximating the Laramie Tunsil deal, but Washington refused to do it, and they ended up getting very little back um, from the 49ers uh, for one of the best left tackles in football. Uh, anyway, look, we could go round and round. I really appreciate the time. Uh, very informative. Uh, take care. Hope you're well, um, and uh, and we'll see what happens here in the offseason. Oh, yeah, no problem. Appreciate you. All right, that's it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy and then Cooley scheduled for Friday.